Welcome, everyone. I'm Susan Shatter, the president of the National Academy, and this is the 20th Review Panel, which is a collaboration between David Cohn and the National Academy Museum. Well, actually, it's art critical, we should say, <clears throat> and the National Academy Museum and School of Fine Arts. Um, I would like to, first of all, thank the people who fund the review panel this season. Funding is provided by Edith and Herbert Lehman Foundation, the Daedalus Foundation, the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs, and the New York State Council on the Arts. I would also now like to introduce the moderator and doubling as an art critic, David Cohn. David <clears throat> is an art critic and contributing editor at the New York Sun. He's also the gallery director at the New York Studio School, and he is editor and publisher of artcritical.com. And on that website, you may listen to past review panels. David will introduce the critics, and so I will now hand over the evening to David. Thank you. Thank you very much, Susan, and thank you to the National Academy and all its staff for putting this on, making it possible. Really, criticism culture remain as for over 100 years in the debt of this institution. Uh, distinguished panel, ladies and gentlemen, uh, two recalcitrants and a newcomer, um, Arthur Danto, uh, art critic for The Nation, uh, pr great philosopher and critic, uh, author of numerous uh, learned tomes. Um, <laughs> Unnatural Wonders uh, of 2005 has just been issued as a, a paperback. Um, Arthur was the uh, emeritus Johnsonian professor of philosophy at Columbia University. Um, Linda Yablonski, to my right, is uh, art critic for Bloomberg News and uh, a prolific and, and much read critic in, in other publications as well. You may have noticed the cover of uh, the current issue of Art and Auction, the cover story um, on the influence of artists' studio assistants on the creative process is by Linda. And we also see her writings frequently in the New York Times and artforum.com. And Vincent Katz is a, a critic, poet, and translator. His criticism is, is read in Art in America, works on paper, and other publications. He's the author of uh, books on Clemente and others. Uh, he's the uh, award-winning translator of the Latin poet Sextus Propertius. He's the publisher and editor of Vanitas, uh, a new uh, magazine that's featured uh, in various issues, Jim Dine, Kiki Smith, and forthcoming Jack Pearson. And his latest book of poetry, Judge, is, is made up of uh, uh, quotations from New York Times, um, uh, from the New York Times, from the uh, 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 Senate uh, congressional uh, hearings for the Attorney General uh, with, with artworks by Wayne Gonzalez. A distinguished panel, please welcome them, ladies and gentlemen. Great. Well, we've got a very full program this evening, as you know, I'm sure. Just, just 
just uh, as, as a matter of curiosity, how many of the audience have seen uh, three or more of the shows we're going to talk about tonight? That's, wow. uh, that's, uh, you're probably bored of this joke, but that's about the same average as the panel. So uh, we're, we're in for a very lively and well-informed uh, uh, discussion from the audience as well as the panel. Uh, just to remind you of the format, we show a little PowerPoint presentation for each show that we're looking at, followed by discussion of it. And after we've seen uh, or, or dealt with, dispatched, two or three uh, shows, we take a little break and bring in the audience for some response, as we do also at the end. So um, uh, don't feel you have to heckle, because you'll get your moment. Uh, and, and just a little technical point, because as, as Susan mentioned, we do record proceedings uh, for posterity and the enjoyment of people around the world. Uh, do wait, when it comes to the question time, for the uh, roving mic, which... Uh, I think Gabby or, or uh, somebody will bring to you um, so that we can all hear and uh, the World Wide Web can hear as well. Great. Well, uh, we're going to kick off with Cara Walker, whose show was in two venues, or rather she has two shows that we're looking at, the uh, uh, retrospective of sorts at, at the Whitney Museum and a show of more recent work at uh, Sycamore Jenkins Company. So, Linda... Um, I'm sure I doubt anyone on the panel would disagree as to the um, the, the, the power, the finesse, the the craft, the, the and the audacity of of, of Kara Walker. Um, uh, but I'm I'm really remain intrigued, as I'm I'm sure many are and have been, um, by just what we're to make, just how we are to process and deal with some of the provocation. The uh, the, 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 the core of, of this artist's work. Um, are you still shocked by Kara Walker when you see her? Do you, do you remain shocked? I don't think I've ever been shocked uh, by Kara Walker. I've always been interested and drawn to, and surprised by what she was doing from the beginning, and I, in a way, was there at the beginning uh, in a, what I think was a, a, a lucky break for me. When I, in 1994, I was uh, running a literary series at the Drawing Center, and I was there one day doing some business, and there was Kara Walker, I didn't know who she was, uh, with enormous rolls of seamless black paper on the floor and some scissors, and she had pencil drawn the outlines of the figures for Gone, the first piece you see when you step off the elevator at the Whitney. And I didn't know what she was doing. I mean, the first day I saw her, she was simply on the floor you know, with uh, cutting things out, of, uh, cutting the figures out of these rolls of paper. And then she was on a ladder, uh, penciling them in and then pasting them to the wall. And then I went away for a few days and came back and it was done. And I was pretty stunned by it, and I was very interested in the way she had sexualized these figures. I didn't know anything about her. She was very young. She was very shy. She didn't talk to anybody, uh, and, uh, but obviously not that shy when you look at the imagery, um, and very determined. And I ended up really reading that was an entire wall of the drawings. Well, it's the same as you see at the Whitney. And uh, 
uh, going back several times and looking at it and at the scale of the figures, at the sexual nature of it, at the pornographic, obscene nature of it, and the obscenity of slavery, equating those two things together, uh, and uh, a subject that racism, what the legacy of the Civil War, or the historical record that has been whitewashed and rewritten many different ways since, taking all of that into account and filtering it through her own sensibility and her own experience, which was, as I much later learned, had something to do with when now everybody is published a lot, that she moved, her family moved to Atlanta when she was 13 or something, and from Stockton, California, where she was in a fairly um, amenable situation to one where blacks were still second-class citizens um, and, you know, the daughter of an academic, a very well-educated and uh, an artist, and um, then a later job in a bookstore where she read just about every romance novel that uh, the store sold, which were many, and how all of this uh, figured later figured into the work. So I think she's being true to herself, uh, to her own experience, and addressing all of the contradictions uh, in our own historical record that, uh, depending on what side of uh, the Mason-Dixon line you were on and um, where you stood in art, using the cliches of the silhouette of the panorama, these 19th century antiquated models, uh, the quick-cut silhouette. I mean, I have silhouettes of myself that, you know, my parents had done of me as a six-month-year-old baby on the boardwalk in Coney Island. You know, this is like a trick, and uh, uh, a cheap trick at that, and uh, she used it for, in a very potent way. All of this was immediately... Uh, accessible and interesting to me and uh, and that she had taken all of these things together in this one thing and yet made this kind of abstraction of um, uh, and, and an ambivalent one of uh, slaves, black people in the Civil War were both part, uh, you know, colluding in their experience yeah. and suffering from so, it. So Vincent, do you see this as an, as a, as an ambivalent abstraction? Is that how you are able to uh, enjoy or, or read uh, Walker or, or like me perhaps? Um, do they retain um, a sense of uh, 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 sh- uh, shockingness? Um, yeah, I, I don't, was never shocked by them myself either. But I remember I saw that exhibition at the Drawing Center, and I was very impressed by her work, and I found it very beautiful, and I still do. I mean, I think particularly the cut paper works, I think, are still her best works, although her um, these films that are in the Whitney, the narrative in them is is something that she has a gift for and using sound and and actually using language. I mean, I always, uh, I guess maybe I'm a little prejudiced, but I somehow feel that in art school, artists should be prohibited from using language. Maybe that's a little too strong. But you see a lot of language in art that seems to me, you know, either the artist could be writing an essay or... Um, it's just not adding anything to the visual impact of what you're seeing. And there's really a handful of artists for me. I mean, Jack Pearson is one of them, and Richard Prince is another one, where the language really comes alive. And, and in, in Carol Walker's case, that's certainly true. And it's 
And would that be the the um, intellectual con uh, content of the language, or would that be the the power of lettering? Are we talking? Are Both. we talking? Yes. Both. I mean, if you there's this at Sycamore Jenkins, there's a wall of these <coughs> word pieces that we passed by. Very, you know, we saw one just now, but um, they're they're lettered very beautifully and casually. And in the Whitney, there's a sequence that seem like notebook pages. I mean, I'm pretty sure that they were done and not really labored over too much. So there's this fluidity that she has with her line and that you see in her drawings, also in her, her um, gouaches and ink works that's in the lettering. But also the language, I think, is, is very... Um, you can't really, well, as with, I think, her work in general, you can't really pin it down to one thing, but it's, uh, it has a, a, a very effective balance to the ideas. Yeah, Arthur, I'm beginning to get a bit worried about my own taste. It may be a, a sign of super uncoolness to um, uh, notice and immerse yourself and question the quality of uh, experience you're having with, with work of uh, so, so explicit um, uh, sexual and racial content as, as walkers. Do, do you find that there's some... I mean, it's not, I'm, not, I'm not putting a prudish... Um, I'm not putting prudery on the agenda and saying, is this acceptable or not? I'm, I'm saying, does, does the um, experience of... Cara, I'm saying, what is the nature of the problematics of the experience of Kara Walker? Now, the first two speakers have spoken almost joyous, very enthusiastically about technical and craft aspects of the work and formal aspects of the work, uh, which I don't disagree with, but I'm, I'm still um, excited and provoked and disturbed by the nature of response that the work seems to be demanding of me. Is that the right... Do you have that experience too? I, I don't know. I think uh, it's pretty difficult not to be shocked, to tell you the truth. I, I don't think that, uh, I mean, it's, the sexuality is definitely there, but th these people are behaving like monsters toward one another. Uh, and uh, they've got bodies that don't behave like ordinary bodies uh, be behave. Limbs are being pulled off, blood spurts, but nobody seems to mind a, a lot about that. I mean, uh, so it's like uh, the spirit of Los Desastros de la Guerra, that, that is to say, pulling people apart, uh, uh, children being ripped out of stomachs, and, uh, mm -hmm. and the animals and human beings uh, having this congress with one another, which is sometimes sexual and sometimes something beyond that. So, I mean, she, she, she belongs in a, in a tradition of, uh, of Goya, for sure. Uh, Saad, um, perhaps? Saad, perhaps? Maybe. Uh, although there's a different, I don't think there's an ideology of sadism in her, so right. it's it's just descriptive. And she's seeking a metaphor of uh, human inhumanity, mm -hmm. and uh, she finds various ways of doing it. And she's not making a lot of noise about it. I mean, the, mm. the kind of matter of factness with which these silhouettes are, are are cut. I mean, silhouette is a very prim little medium when you get right down to it, and and here she's monumentalized. This, she's uh, things that are usually in oval frames, about four by eight, mm -hmm. and so at most, and she's covered walls, walls with, with them. So <clears throat> it's true that she's taken uh, an art form that uh, belonged in parlors, 
in uh, maybe at the time of the Civil War, but I think it probably goes back for, further, back into the 18th, 18th century. And uh, uh, Dunham, like, she was decorating the Sistine Chapel. That, that is to say, to do the mm-hmm. ceiling in yes. silhouettes or the last judgment mm. in, in, in silhouettes. That, that seems to me to be quite, quite extraordinary. On the other hand, I, I wasn't uh, really crazy at all about the, uh, the films. I felt oh, that right. those were disanimations of, uh, her, that her gifts don't lie in that direction. When I say gifts, I mean genius in her case. Is her genius to do? Then, then let's try and define her uh, genius. I mean, uh, Linda, are you comfortable with genius as a term for Kara Walker? And, and if so, can we define it specifically? You know, the MacArthur Foundation has anointed her a genius. So I mean, it's hard Can't to argue fight with the MacArthur that. Foundation, yes. I, I think she's pretty brilliant, actually. And uh, uh, I must say, mm-hmm. I was resistant at, at first. You know, when there was a lot of. Uh, uh, intense uh, attention paid to her, and then when Betty Saar uh, started that letter writing campaign against her, that was pretty interesting. Uh, I, I, I know it was difficult for Carol Walker, and everybody knows this story. Another African American artist of a senior generation uh, to Kara. Uh, objected very strongly to uh, the way she had characterized the African-American experience uh, in, in this, uh, during the Civil War and after, just after, and uh, sent around a coruscating letter um, demanding that Cara, that museums all over the country refuse to show her work. Uh, to try to keep show, her show out of various venues unsuccessfully, but it started a debate uh, among female black artists in particular of different generations that did seem to have a generational divide. And uh, it was, for me, watching on the outside, kind of interesting and um, very disturbing and... But also, but the thing is that Carrot's work, she's very good at starting these debates, whether it's between black people or white people. I mean, there's always uh, a conversation going on. And I guess that's sort of genius. Doesn't, isn't, there, isn't there really, though, a debate yeah. within yeah. ourselves? Isn't, when you're standing in front of these works, there's, they're, they're whimsical and delightful, they're macabre and uh, appalling at the yeah. same time. Yeah. So that if you have those two responses then you have an internal uh, debate. And it's the internal debate that I think is where potentially genius lies, but it could also be fraud to, to stir up an internal debate. I mean, uh, Vincent, do you not have any kind of in angst with, with, with the work? I never mind shock, but how, do, how does one process um, the... Do you, do you feel that there, there is any kind of um, uh, tangible moral or spiritual or political... Um, uh, message or um, uh, invocation in these works? Um, well, I, I don't think that there's any message. I think that everybody comes to it with their own experiences, and, and whether or not they're made nervous or not depends on that. And I think, for example, with slavery, if people don't know much about the history of slavery, 
they might think either, A, this is the truth, this is what happened, or they might be very resistant to that and think this is not what happened. Whereas if somebody knows quite a bit about slavery, they, again, they might, I mean, they'd probably be more in the, in the first camp of thinking that this does represent some psychological reality of slavery, but it would be possible also to reject that, depending on the background. Um, and I'm aware of, of the, the, the disturbances that this work could create in people. Um, and it just seems very resonant to me. I mean, but getting back to the idea of genius, you know, it's interesting to think that right now we have the Richard Prince show at the Guggenheim and the Martin Poirier show at the MoMA. And these are three very different artists, but who have all, you know, resonated over the years, over long periods of time. And so I think you could, you know, be interesting to think about what that says about this moment. But I think certainly, you know, Kara's work has, has remained um, provocative. For me personally, I think one of the things that I deal with is I find some of it funny, you know, and so that's a little uh, unnerving for me because you're supposed to be feeling, you know, this kind of disturbing sadness that this, these horrible things probably happened or this is a representation of psychological states that people felt. Um, and, and still feel because the history of slavery continues until today. So, but then there's the drawing in the, in the Whitney, you know, I mean, she uses all the, she goes back, as we've said before, to um, earlier models, including minstrel shows, but also include it, which were white people dressed up as black people. So, you know, there's a drawing in there, and the, the writing on it says, this must be heaven, you know, spelled like that. And there's kind of this grumpy looking, um, sort of like a baby, but with a man's face. And I mean, I, I just have to smile. I think it's funny. You know, and then there's another one that, that really struck me in, in response to this, this whole attack and critique that was mounted on her. She did a whole series of works uh, dealing with that. And one of them says something like, um, You're, there's really this stinky black pussy that is so intriguing, and especially... African American 27 year old cunt with a MacArthur Fellowship. And I mean, I just, I find that entertaining too. I mean, there's a kind of, there's, there's attitude in it. It's not all, it's not a lecture series, that's for sure. Can I, can I add something to that that you were saying before about your internal debate? Because yes. there is built into her, in a lot of her work and in one of the films, Eight Possible Beginnings. This ambivalence is, is in herself, you know, in this series of drawings that Vincent was just talking about that followed this letter writing campaign. Uh, you know, there are days when she's really questioning herself, when she's hurt, when she feels pretty small, and other days there's a there's a fine line between self-loathing and pride throughout her work that I find very interesting and that you see reflected in this, especially in this particular suite of drawings and in that film where she and her daughter, the voice of her young daughter, saying, I, I wish I were white or something to that effect, which is about, you know, kind of... Uh, a, a black bigotry, or the same thing with Jewish anti-Semitism. It's the same kind of impulse. I think she's, you know, in one of uh, one of Goya's uh, drawings, he, he says, "I saw this." He wrote that in, mm -hmm. 
And uh, nobody's ever seen anything, I think, quite. Maybe in the 30 years war, which had gone on and on, and humans were degraded to the point of uh, animality, which is the wrong word, but uh, that, that uh, nobody probably saw anything like that. And the fact that she's able to take these, these dream, dream-like atrocities and make them funny, as Vincent, I think Vincent's quite correct, that there's an element of comedy in it. And it's th- like things happen in comic strips that don't really happen in, in, in life. And, and I think that there's a tremendous comedy in her. And at the same time, I think, uh, it, and it's not race, I think it really, I mean, race is there, but I think it's uh, uh, a, 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 por- a portrait of uh, the human. As 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 a species, uh, the, the 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 most dangerous uh, kind of animal that 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 there is, and and she's uh, she she's found all 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 of these am- amazing inventions for rep- representing things that people don't even know how to dream about, and that 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 really uh, is an astonishing thing. So I don't think it's a conflict, but an ordinary conflict that, you know, in which the genius uh, consists. The genius consists in her powers of invention and discovery, it seems to me, and deal, dealing with these themes that bring us to the absolute edge of uh, the tolerable. And, uh, and there they are in, uh, in, 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 in a museum, and we're trying to figure out I wonder, what to do with I, it. I'd like to question the idea that they're at the edge of the tolerable, because the, uh, uh, if one looks at literally what's depicted, uh, they're intolerable. But if one enjoys the form and the craft with which they're depicted, they're eminently tolerable. If you go to Sigma Jenkins, you've got a whole show of very beautifully uh, finessed, very saleable um, Kara Walkers. You can take home a Kara Walker, and, and you can live with or do what you want to do with um, something that, as you say, the content is beyond intolerable. The form is quite delectable. And I think that in that respect, and it's, it's therefore not surprising that older African-American artists take umbrage because it's, it's creating, in a generation, I mean, you take, you take the view, a, his, a view of, sort of African-American artists going back several generations and you put Kara Walker in it, but you can also take a horizontal view of artists of all races and creeds who are alive today uh, and uh, who are Kara Walker's uh, contemporaries. And, and many of them are taking um, imagery of great extremity and uh, transforming it into a highly formalist, highly formal, highly stylized uh, sort of mannerism that's that's sort of nicely crafted, and its content is 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 off color. So I'm not sure that that's so startling in in her work if you look at her in, in terms of her generation. Um, should we talk about the show at the gallery? <laughs> sure, sure. But let's let's really. Um, I'm implying that we're we're on the wrong track by no, no, no. feeling. No, no, no. I thought we were yeah. going to ignore it. You mentioned. It. Oh the, well, I think we're dealing with Kara Walker as a as a whole, and we've got the two two instances of her work. I I think it's right that the review panel, when we we've been to the Whitney, should give people the, you know. Get, get people down to Chelsea as well to see some, some more current work. 
Thanks. I'd like to actually move on then to the next show. And uh, don't, uh, because the next couple of shows actually, Karen Yazinski, and uh, we're going to look then at Isaac Julian, um, uh, will bring up perhaps some formal or content issues that relate back to Kara Walker, and we shouldn't be shy to bring Kara Walker back into the discussion if comparison is a useful way of dealing with subsequent artists in uh, this evening's discussion. So we're going to go back to the PowerPoint, and um, thank you. We've got the video. We've got a little treat for you. We're going to show you um, uh, some, Kara, some Yazinski in motion. A first for the review panel. You got the mic?
go straight into the PowerPoint then. Uh, Arthur had mentioned, um, Vincent, Arthur had mentioned that uh, he didn't feel that uh, film and animation were, the, were Cara Walker's natural uh, idiom, her forte. Uh, what do you feel, Vincent, was the relationship between uh, drawing and, and animation in, in Yazinski's case? Do you feel that um, animation for her is a continuation of drawing by another means? Is it a successful extension? Um, what, what's going on in that relationship? Well, it almost seems like her, her drawings are made to become animations. I mean, at least in this exhibition. And I, you know, I kind of like the wobbly animation. It reminded me of cartoons I used to see when I was a kid. Or the other film, which we didn't see, where she uses, I guess, kind of like puppets, reminded me of Davy and Goliath. I don't know if you ever saw that kid's show. But it's like you know, these puppets sort of, you know, jerkily moving through space and so their emotions have to be very cardboard and and then something strange happens where the, the groom in that version, it's another version of the same story that we saw here goes underwater and it's kind of claustrophobic, it seems like he might be drowning himself so um, I don't know, I'm a little I sometimes don't like to know that much about where an artist gets their ideas and in this case it's like really being you're made to notice that it's coming from this film and this her work is really um, relating to that you know I found the work interesting but I sometimes you know like to find out about it on my own yes did you have that trouble Linda or, or did you like me feel that this was a case where an artist has found in a classic movie uh, the kind of starting point that um, an artist of a previous century would, would have found in um, an perhaps esoteric but nonetheless uh, known uh, kind of legend or, or Bible story or myth. Um, what, was your, what did you think was the status of, of Vigo's movie in, in her usage of it? Well, the problem for me was that I've seen the movie and I only saw it once, and that was about 10 years ago, but it was a work of such sensuous beauty, black and white cinematography, that I remember certain things in it, clearly the same things this artist took from the film, um, and that I couldn't help but thinking of the way the film looked while I was looking at this, and it didn't really come close for me, but then I thought, she was after something else, I'm not sure what, but it didn't really engage me the way there were two animation, still animations uh, on monitors on the walls. They were very small scale, all of these, as are the drawings, and that jiggling motion that Vincent mention of the sailor kissing the girl and the tattooed sailor holding the girl. And those I was kind of hypnotized by, I think, because of the movement. And I could appreciate those as independent works more than I did this uh, film or the one with the dolls, the puppets, which didn't actually engage me at all. And uh, it's hard. 
I mean, she now also, like Kara Walker, is using a kind of antiquated method to make her art. Um, but it's hard to work like this without having some comparison to William Kentridge, who's mm -hmm. really done it uh, independently. Well, used certainly operas, but it's and you know the story, the social and political story of apartheid, in particular, and, and more recently opera. Um, but he's kind of the benchmark in that, and it's and this is much smaller scale. The focus is much smaller. It doesn't. It's it. It just. I don't want to. It just didn't have the same impact or significance to me. Impact and significance. <laughs> yes, I think for me though, um, uh, this it seems so so tied in with the, the personal language, the intention of this work that it shouldn't have too much significance and impact. It seems to be um, that if an older generation of black artists can take Kara Walker to task for uh, her uh, attitude slash negritude, that um, uh, an older generation of feminists might take Karen Yazinski and numerous artists of her generation to task for the kind of um, um, re-exploration of the quote-unquote the feminine and uh, kind of ditziness and the vulnerability that she uh, exploits and plays with um, in the work. Arthur, do, do you feel that there was something of that going on, do you think? Uh, again, I'm a little bit more balanced as between, uh, as between blacks and whites, so between men and women. Uh, I, I think they're both inexperienced in, in, in the movie, which uh, is, is one of the really great movies uh, that I was so delighted that anybody uh, yeah. was going <laughs> to devote an entire exhibition mm -hmm. to uh, La Talon, mm -hmm. that, that uh, I was prepared to accept almost anything. <laughs> uh, I, was talking, uh, I, I was talking, oddly enough, with uh, the, the, the filmmaker Guy Madden, who's mm. been teaching uh, a film to, to students, and he thought he was going to give them a great treat by uh, showing Atalant, and he said, you know, they don't get it. They don't get it at all. And I thought, that really says something generational at, at, at any rate. Uh, because it's a very sentimental film, and it's very realistic about two young, inexperienced people learning to live together and so forth, and, 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 and doing vindictive little things that are big in a kind of way. I mean, she goes off in the film, she goes off to see Paris, and he waits for her, and she doesn't come, and then he just says the hell with it and takes the boat uh, away, leaving her, leaving her stranded there. And, and so well, there's a great scene where Michel Simon uh, picks her up and brings her back to the boat, and, and that, it, it, it's a little bit like a four-minute Hamlet, the uh, way, but I like the dolls better than the drawings, to tell you the truth. I think that's, yes. that's where, where uh, uh, Karen Yazinski's great, great gift is. I thought, I thought the, the dolls really came to life, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, they, the, the way they walked in that uh, odd, odd way from the, at, at the wedding party where, 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 where it begins uh, uh, to the boat. And then the loneliness of the two dolls, uh, mm -hmm. the, the sense that they've just lost the most important thing in life, yes. that, that was beautifully done, I thought. So, and it had mm -hmm. something that wasn't caricatural at all. That's what I 
find an enormous contrast between, say, Yazinski and, and Walker is is, is a, it's a radically different sensibility, uh, albeit that they have taken on such you know completely different uh, realms of human experience. Um, I find it an amusing coincidence that at the same time that we had uh, uh, Yazinski's show entirely devoted to La Talente, um, the artist Alex McQuilquin showing at uh, Marvelli um, should have taken on uh, Joan of Arc, another classic French movie, and made an entire show out of that. Um, and uh, so your f filmmaker friend's experiences notwithstanding, there seems to be a, uh, well, with two individuals, one can't necessarily talk of critical mass, but um, some, some hint that, that classic French movies have a currency with uh, uh, contemporary artists. Linda, about the, 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 the feminist or anti-feminist um, sensibility that, uh, that we, we see in Yuzinski, do you feel that, um, do, do you feel that uh, there's a kind of post-feminism among her, her generation of artists that you take any issue with, or is it, uh, how do, you, do, you, do you have any response at that level? What is her generation? Well, she's about my age, i.e. very young. I, mean, she's <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really look at that, this particular show that way. I often do give that reading to work, but I didn't, I'm thinking about mm. it now. And ah. I, I, uh, it seems to me, though, to her, if you look at her still drawings, because the, 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 the venture into animation is relatively new, and um, what I know best of her previous work has been uh, drawing, there's often this very kind of ditzy, knowingly feeble um, sort of exploration of vulnerability through a spindly kind of line, which is uh, uh, a not uncommon feature of, of, of um, particularly women artists um, under the age of 50. Um, but uh, it's, it's something that I'm, perhaps the male chauvinist pig in me really likes, but I, I, I hope it's... Uh, not just the MCP, but that it's it's it is something that's uh, that's genuine and vulnerable. Um, Vincent, did you feel any sort of vulnerability coming across in this work? Well, I think you know it's pretty clear that that this era is is kind of the post PC era. So it's kind of it's exciting to see and just normal and expected, I would think, to to see artists who are not doing politically correct work. And I mean, I think that's one of the most exciting things about Kara Walker's work as well. Um, to me, that issue didn't really arise with, in seeing Karen Yuzinski's work, though. But I, I just wanted to get back to one other thing we were talking about, which is you know using models from the past. And yeah. it's been commented on, if you read the catalog or press about Kara Walker, that these um, curved spaces that you find yourself in, particularly one of them that goes all the way around you, um, were based on these, on these installations, 19th century, called cycloramas, where you would go in and it's a historical painting of the Battle of Gettysburg or something. And so, you know, if you read that, if you have a kind of didactic mind, you think, oh, wow, that's great. You know, Kara Walker is taking this art form and this American art form and turning it into something modern. But if you think about it, I mean, her work is so much more inventive and modern, and it, we don't even really need to know where she got it from. I mean, she happened to see this thing, but she turned it into something just totally 
different and experimental. Whereas this, whereas Karen Yuzinski's work, I think, was really predicated on the film and, you know, making you make that comparison, which, as we've seen, not everybody thought was a fortunate one. But I think she also takes some rather radical uh, liberties with with uh, Vigo in the, in the way that the animation literally turns animation animal uh, with the uh, villagers' heads turning into donkeys and. Uh, uh, the the lovers turning into a great puff there. I mean, uh, Vigo was a, a realist, not a magic realist. So uh, I, I felt that there was um, a, a considerable degree of um, invention within, uh, but it was a meditation on a, on a past work. Um, it's funny because I felt that she was being too faithful to the spirit of the film. So you wanted like more of a deconstruction? Well, I didn't know why. I mean, I understand her choosing that film because it, yes. it is a great film, but, but uh, I didn't really... Yes, it's vulnerable, but I think she was really faithful to the spirit of the film and to the characters in it and to the love story. In it. I also think it's yeah. different, though, David. You know, you brought up the idea, I think you referred to, uh, in the past, artists would have themes, whether it's the Madonna and Child or something from mythology that it would come back to again and again and again. But I mean, these were highly resonant cultural themes, whereas this is uh, what I'm seeing in a lot of contemporary art is more like research. Yes, something is found out. Recherche, exactly. Most people are not going to know this film of my generation in particular, and I'm going to kind of, yeah, I'm going to be upfront about it, but I'm going to kind of spring something on them, and it's a little, I think it's quite different, but I'm interested to what the other people think about that. Yes, it's not the Madonna, but if you look at uh, in medieval and Renaissance art, often there's rather obscure passages in the golden legend that perhaps some priest has tipped the uh, artist off about that um, it's it's certainly not immediately accessible to the layman. But uh, I, I don't know why you want to go all the way back there. Yes. I mean, these are people that could be next-door neighbors, uh, people that you gossip about. Yes. Uh, when, I mean, she, she, she wants to test her powers as a woman. She, she flirts. She wants to see whether she, she can flirt. Can she arouse someone's yes. uh, 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 erotic yes. interest mm. and so forth? Mm. And so on. I, I'd like to see Paris. I haven't seen it. What's it, what's it like? Everybody talks about it. And mm-hmm. her independence uh, shows at that point. Yeah. And, and in those cases, both of them, she, she really uh, doesn't realize that she's got responsibilities of a kind, emotional mm-hmm. responsibilities, that she's, mm-hmm. she's really injuring somebody's feelings in a very, very deep and profound way. And, and uh, uh, that's what the film, in a way, is about, of learning to mm. live, <laughs> live together and take one another uh, uh, seriously. And, uh, it, it seems to me that Vigo's film is to Yazinski what um, a libretto that's been knocking around yeah. for a while might be to a composer who doesn't want to generate a new libretto, might just say, you know, say Philip Glass might suddenly choose a Da Ponte libretto and, and work from that. But... If he were to do so, you wouldn't, people wouldn't not notice that he's taken, that a contemporary composer has picked up an 18th century libretto, just as we're noticing, or not, uh, the degree to which you know, uh, uh, a young contemporary artist has picked up uh, a classic, though to the average American moviegoer, nonetheless obscure, source. Well, the other thing is, you know, we just saw this 
film projected large on the screen in the gallery. It's in a on tiny a little nine-inch black yes. and white television, and the doll film is, of yes. course, projected yes. large. And uh, just going back to... You've been to untrue the, to materials, it's true. It, it, there, you know, you have a different... I mean, I ended up sitting on the floor, because it's also the pedestal the TV's on is sort of waist high, uh, level, and uh, it's you can't get in a comfortable position to watch it. And... Uh, you know, presentation has so much to do with the way one receives anything. The going to the cyclorama, that we didn't talk about it, but the actual installation of Carol Walker's show at the Whitney is certainly one of the best I've ever seen at the Whitney. I think that museum is as problematic as the Guggenheim can be in, in showing different artists' work. And that entire installation of the, if you, you know, stand at one end and look down through, you see a film at the end and uh, all of the cycloramas in between. And it's kind of wonderful the way it's installed and you walk, you sense the narrative of her career from the beginning to the end. It has a real thread there. And uh, it's kind of fantastic for the Whitney, which is so difficult. Um, this, um, I found, I was wishing this film was being projected large, uh, but I also ended up watching it three or four times sitting on the floor and looking at that monitor and uh, ended up kind of liking the experience. The experience of being uncomfortable on the floor? Yes, the more film? than I did in the oh, screening right, room right. where I didn't stay so long. Right, yeah. right. So it was uh, like a sort of... Uh, hmm. Okay, excellent. <laughs> well, let's move from the self-flagellatory experience of sitting on the floor and watching Karen Yazinski to the, um, the, the, the comfort of the bench at uh, Metro Pictures. Uh, we're not going to show you uh, any more videos, um, but we've got some nice stills from that show. Just to remind us, Isaac Julian. Um, Arthur, I'm, perhaps you'd agree with me that uh, in terms of uh, cinematic effect, uh, it, uh, in, in, in great contrast perhaps to the ephemeral, vulnerable, uh, jagged nature of y Yazinski that we've been looking at, this is a very enveloping kind of experience, isn't it? Oh, sitting, it is, si sitting in front, Sitting in that darkened room with a... So resonating uh, uh, subwoofers of the of this uh, um, movie and on three screens and um, were you sort of uh, taken in by that experience or suspicious of it? How I you... was overwhelmed by it. I think it's absolutely great art, mm -hmm. and uh, the the it's it's you don't get anything from these stills. I mean, you've no. turned. You, it, I don't know how you do it except. Well, we do have the video, but I mean, I think how many, how many of us saw the, uh, the show there? I think a fair whack of us Probably did, a fair did, number did, but uh, that, that's the experience. And, yes. uh, and, and, I, and I, I think that the uh, restrained way in which he deals with that horror of what those people must be going, going through in the little boats, the small boats, as, as he call, calls mm -hmm. them, I... Uh, uh, I I, I was o overwhelmed by that idea that he must have really powerful feelings about what's happening uh, here and the plight 
of these, uh, uh, well, they're not refugees quite. They're, they're actually adventurers. They're, they're seeking a, a new and better, better life in, in a very different kind of civilization. And they're being treated like worse than slaves would be because the people who have slaves at least hope to turn a profit in the end, whereas these people are abandoned, uh, cut, cut adrift, uh, they, they don't have a, an, enough water, they don't have enough food, uh, and so forth. And yet, all of that, and then they, they, people, people die. And yet, he's found uh, metaphors like a garment that he takes out of the water, a, a foot with uh, sand on it, and you don't know whether it belongs to a corpse or somebody who's just been sunning himself on the on the beach and, and yes. so forth. And then the the two women, the the, the black woman who walks through those that grill yes. and, and looks and the white white the black woman in the white dress who's uh, walking down the Rococo stair, stairway past mm-hmm. all this gilded furniture and so forth. And the difference between their lives their lives. I mean, that 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 is so o- overwhelming that there, but for the grace of God, I would be in my white dress walking down past uh, uh, the golden furniture and so forth. In instead Why, of why is that uh, a terrible fate? Oh, I mean, instead of being a dead on a boat. Yeah. Yes. Right. I thought you said instead of being the emeritus professor of no, not. philosophy <laughs> sitting here because no, I didn't I'm seeing about being ter- no. terrible contrast. But my imagination yeah. uh-huh. just goes yeah. so far. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Okay. Um, um, uh, uh, Karen, I mean, to some extent, if a, if a picture moves, you want to know what the story is. But to another extent, we're, we're getting used to the idea that a, a moving com- picture can have the, um, the stillness of a, of a still painting, can't we? I, I didn't find myself... I mean, at first I thought, uh, this is what's going on, what's not going on. I, I just, like Arthur, I wasn't overwhelmed necessarily like Arthur, but I was able to simply... Uh, Experience this as, I, as if I was looking at a still picture with a rather um, intriguing narrative possibility, but I didn't need to worry too much about the narrative. Um, what, was, what was your relationship to narrative? Did you just let the narrative float by, and, uh, or did you find out you were able to make sense of a, a storyline? Me? Yeah, uh, yeah. My name's Linda. Uh, uh, Linda, uh, yes. Yeah. Sorry, it's Karen Yazinski, <laughs> Linda Yoblonsky. It's uh, okay. I didn't get past, for the longest time, the boats, <laughs> the, uh, the first screen, which is just this lyrical camera movement and what seems to be floating, you know, of, of being in a boat and going by all this pileup of wrecked sh- boats. I didn't concern myself about narrative. I, I was absolutely mesmerized by this entire show, which has not been the case for me in previous shows by Isaac Julian, although I've always been interested in his work. I simply stood there and couldn't break away from this first screen, and I didn't know what it was about. I didn't read anything about it first. I just walked in there and couldn't get enough of the boats. And I finally, because I knew I was going to have to speak about this, wrenched myself away and went into the gallery and sat down for the triple screen um, video where the dancers, and uh, I, 
you know, I don't think I did bother myself about a narrative at all. It didn't matter to me because I was so struck by the imagery and I had an idea of what it was about, that there was some kind of exile or journey to this kind of godforsaken place, not the, not the palace, but the, uh, the rocks and the, and the coastline, and, but over, overwhelmed by the beauty of it. And, uh, and also the same mesmerizing kind of movement of the dancers in the film. I mean, I walked out of there and bought a ticket to the performance, mm. bought several tickets to the performance at BAM, which I'm seeing tomorrow, I haven't seen it yet because uh, I really couldn't get enough of it. And I wanted to make more sense of it, and I was kind of pleased that, you know, I like with Carol Walker, even Karen Yusinski, artists that make you puzzle over their work a bit, you know, that it was very interesting to me. I didn't get it all, I mean, later I read more about it, but I, I just loved the experience of it, just the physical, and the, yes, there was an intellectual challenge to it, but also it was just fantastic images and the lyricism that I don't often see in galleries. Yes. Um, the lyricism, yeah. Uh, Vincent, um, I, I actually found, I mean, I, I admire um, Julian greatly, and I enjoyed this show, but um, the lyricism was a little bit of an obstacle for me, especially the balletic movements of these supposedly writhing figures who were very much um, Martha Stewart writhers. I mean, they're um, Martha Graham. Martha Graham writhers. <laughs> At first I call Linda Yablonsky uh, uh, Karen, and then I m mix up Martha Graham and Martha Stewart, which is, uh, what, what else does the evening have in store for us? We'll Martha see. Ray. <laughs> yes. Um, no, uh, Vincent, to get back to uh, uh, what, I'm, what, what we're talking about. Um, were you overwhelmed? What, what was, or or was, was, was the stylishness any kind of obstacle? Uh, well, I'm uh, usually, if I see something that's a video installation, I'm a little wary of it. And I, you know, for one thing, you, there's a certain time element involved. I mean, one of the things I like about painting and sculpture and drawing is you can go at your own pace. And with video, you're forced to stay in one place and look at something for a certain amount of time, often 20 minutes or 30 minutes if you were going to really see the whole thing. Um, however, when I went into this installation, I had an experience very similar to Linda's, which is I saw this first room, uh, and it's about 15 minutes, I think, this whole sequence. He passes by these boats several times in different close-ups, getting closer and closer, that I thought was just so mesmerizing. And also, I was paying attention to how it was installed, and there was this screen that was at a slight angle to the room, which I somehow was just totally brilliant, because it made me, I don't know, just forced me, not into the corner, but into a relaxed space somehow. It, was, it separated the space. Uh, and then I went into the rest of it and saw the main exhibition or the main part of the film, I guess you would say. Um, but this is another case where I think, you know, if you had not read the press release or article or something about the exhibition, you might not know the detailed history which the research for this film was about, which is these 
people trying to escape from Africa on their way to Sicily, and many of them drowning in horrible situations. Um, and I think what I got from it, getting back to the lyricism idea, is it's something just much more spiritual, you know, which you can interpret in any way you want. It's this kind of journey you, you don't know if it's life or death. Um, one of the, the parts that I thought was very effective were, I guess, was filmed at these Turkish steppes in, in Agrigento in Sicily, but it's the, these figures um, kind of floating like water down these steps and then floating up the steps also. Um, and I, you know, so within all that, the fact that they were dancers and, and you could see that they were dancers and choreographed, I mean, it all seemed to make sense because it was not explained until you read the press release. It's also, it's a little bit like the photographs of Sebastian Salgado where you have objects of real beauty and yet what you're looking at is horror, so it's famine and murder and genocide. <laughs> And there's a bit of that in here. We're looking at a horrifying situation, and it's mesmerizingly beautiful. Well, we're looking at a very um, we're looking at death, and um, uh, we're not, which is uh, we're all frightened of, I think. But um, we're not looking at um, uh, we're not looking at a Tarantino movie, or uh, we're looking. Uh, it's not. Uh, um, I mean, it's we're not looking at a we're not looking at actual death. We're looking at a highly stylized, almost ritualized uh, evocation of, of death. And um, so, um, and, and even, I, I, I mean, I wasn't um, convinced by the press release. I, don't, I, the, I just, I don't think that the, the idea that this is quote-unquote about um, uh, uh, migrating Africans drowning in the Mediterranean is, uh, forgive me, but holds water because um, uh, it's just not it's 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 highly mythic and and it's almost um, it's balletically mythic um, and um, uh, Arthur is he therefore trying to take this horrific situation to art to some higher exalted state of being art or is he um, is he not, in a way, compromising the, the horror, if that's what he wants to get across? Well, it's not a documentary. I dare say that you could show it as horrifically as, a, as it genuinely is. Mm -hmm. so, so he's transformed it in some kind of way. But it, uh, you're coming back to it as if there's information in the press release about yeah. is, is, is the, 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 the it, and then around it, if that's the sun, and then the stars circling it are the movie we're seeing and, and the installation we're seeing. I would. How about we like ignore the press release and and the the the, the quote unquote the knowledge that uh, uh, there's a geopolitical reality that um, instigated the film uh, the exhibition and just look at the work itself and if we do we we have a very different experience don't we Well, I think what we'd see is uh, two conditions of human life. Uh, they're very vividly contrasted with, with, mm -hmm. with one another. And uh, uh, the uh, Af African scene don't really seem to show life as intolerable. But for the people who are there, it's intolerable. They, they feel as though they, they've got to get to that, that other life, where, as a matter of fact, mm -hmm. things, things might not be anywhere near what they'd 
Yes. One. So it's like two sets of dreams almost. Yes. That, uh, and, and the reality, there, there's a scene in the middle uh, where there's only one person in the boat, this black figure, and he's mm-hmm. wearing kind of a golden costume almost. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he looks and you, you don't know whether that's boredom whether he's just drifting and it's boredom, or mm-hmm. whether there's some, some other, other kind of meaning mm-hmm. that he might be the last survivor, for example. Yes. And yes. Uh, that it, 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 so it's got these ambiguities mm-hmm. straight through in a kind of way. Right. But it, 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 it is a kind of moral question as to mm-hmm. should we beautify things like this? That, that I think, is probably a, mm-hmm. a, a, a problem for artists in general. Well, uh, yeah, from Kara Walker to, to Isaac Julian, um, and, and from Goya <laughs> to, to, to anybody making art which has uh, uh, content of that nature. But I, I, I come back to the assertion, that the, the conviction that, um, uh, that, that Julian was dealing in, in a rather uh, operatic, uh, uh, balletic kind of way with uh, what are universal uh, uh, fears and conundrums and nothing really as political or specific as, as some of my co-panelists are suggesting. But I'd like to open it to the audience to talk about the three first shows we've been looking at, um, three shows that all use uh, uh, film or animation to some extent, um, uh, two of the shows which deal with aspects of the, of the black experience. So what do we make of all this? And do we, do we have comments on specific shows or anybody like to perhaps um, take the plunge and, and connect two or three of them together. Uh, wait for the mic, though, if you would. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Great. The second row. Thank you. Well, you didn't. Uh, Hello. Can you turn it on for the lady? Yeah. I think there was. Uh... It's not on. Can you turn it on for her, please? Thank you. No one mentioned that there was a film referenced in uh, Julian's, which was where the um, leopard, the film with Burt Lancaster, was filmed, The Palace, which I guess was a stand-in for the Lampedusa home. So is it that everyone this age who's grown up with classic films is now using that as myth? Well, kudos to you. I don't know how old Isaac Julian is, but... Well, we're, he's old enough to go to, to, to register with Netflix and get the leopard for sure. I mean, uh, but I actually love the leopard, and I didn't didn't make the connection. So thanks for pointing it out. Uh, did any did any of us notice that it was? Yes, I read it I'm afraid in the, I did. Press release. Oh, you read it in the press release. <laughs> I've Palazzo, seen that movie many uh, times. Gandhi. Gandhi, yeah. I would yeah, never yeah. have known that unless the press right. release. It was so. the greatest party scene in any movie ever made. Yeah. The leopard. Okay, well, it's an that's, hour long. Excellent. Uh, uh, yes. Um. What I liked yes. was that portrait, that 18th century portrait, a guy wearing a wig, and it looks like the capital on a column, as a matter of fact, the two curls and so forth. I, I, I thought people really dressed in Rococo style. Yes. Uh, any, any, somebody else would like to make some comment uh, on, the, on the three three shows we looked at. Uh, or are you, yes, uh, gentlemen here. 
to try and tie them together a little bit, I, I, I think that there, there's an interesting thing going on that all the shows are framed by how they're presented beforehand. We're supposed to know information before we go. Um, going backwards, I thought that uh, I agree with David on Julian's show that I, to find anything horrific about it at all, I think, is pushing it. I thought that it was actually pretty bad filmmaking, and uh, it was um, not visually interesting, and certainly not horrific. And if I didn't read, when I read the press release at the end, after seeing it, I was in shock that it was supposed to be about that, because I thought it was just kind of uh, trite, uh, um, not horrible or anything, but just not interesting. And, and uh, to take, then to go backwards to the reference to uh, Jean Vigo, which is such a great film, and to see her making something out of it, which seemed okay, but childlike in, in its attempt to deal with it. And, and finally, to go back to Carl Walker, again, framing, I know what it's supposed to be about, but when I look at the work, I find it's, I think her genius lies in her figuring out that the silhouettes work for her. The other work is really mediocre visually, and every time she goes to black and white, it works very well, but, they, but she's not actually demanding much from the viewer as far as, uh, this I disagree with David, that the shock, how could anyone be shocked at those? They're pretty. They're not really horrific. I've seen so many horrific images in my life. They're not even close. And they, they don't really question slavery. They don't really, they're like a fantasy. And they're, I, I don't really want to damn them too much because I kind of enjoy the silhouettes. And I think that they're very competent. But I don't think that they've pushed art in any particular direction other than they, they're a very solid product like Damien Hirst's dot paintings. Okay. Um, so. Got the measure of those three shows from you. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's, uh, that's, that's Devon Golden, who uh, has, uh, uh, has contributed many articles to artcritical.com and uh, sometime gallerist, not representing any of those artists. So, yes, lady in the... F- uh, thank you. Hi. Um, I uh, totally disagree with the last gentleman about Kara Walker. However, I do kind of agree with him about Julian's work because I think one thing that you sound as though you're all very seduced by is the fact that this was an extremely expensive 35-millimeter production. And there's no way with that kind of equipment and that kind of setup that the imagery is not going to be extremely seductive and beautiful. And I also agree with David that it had absolutely nothing to do with the press release. And um, I was also very shocked when, that, um, when I read that. And, and if it did have to do with the press release, then it was a tragedy because it was so completely distant from the tragedy that the people uh, that it was written about were actually went through. And it was so um, gorgeous in terms of its, you know, uh, expression, uh, use of the medium. But I did think that it, the artificiality of the dancing totally swept any kind of reality away. 
I, I'd like to say yes. something. Uh, first, I just as a general statement, I try not to read press releases. I'm sorry, Sean, but um, I roll my eyes at them usually. I don't find them useful. <laughs> and the the less, the just the, the bare bones of information in them are the best. So I don't take that into the you know I don't let it get. That's why I didn't read this one until long after the fact. Um, I think Vincent made an interesting uh, point, and I think true one is that video, you know, you can choose the way you want to look at painting and sculpture and drawing, but video, you have to follow it the way it's given to you, even though in some installations is where they're on a loop, you can walk in and out, it doesn't matter if you see the whole thing. The other problem for me always has been uh, television. Uh, most of us started looking at video and television and it was in terms of entertainment and narrative and we bring that expectation into the gallery often or the museum where there's a video and we kind of expect to be at the movies. Uh, and of course that's not, I think in more recent years anyway, artists have gotten uh, using the language of cinema and video in a different way than Hollywood. Would. And in this case, Isaac Julian, as he has several times before, was working with a company of dancers on a commission. And, um, and modern dancers, I happen to like the dancing in this movie. I like dancing. And um, it is an abstraction of an idea. Uh, it doesn't really have a narrative. I think as a metaphor, in fact, that pile up of boats and that the circling of the boats for me encompassed the whole issue that he was getting at, uh, this sort of the, the despair of, of it and, and the beauty of it and of the boats themselves and the lyricism, but there was sound involved and the sound had a lot to do with my experience. Also, there were disparate elements that were working together, but less to create a narrative than an independent work of art, it seemed to me. Okay, mm. uh, thank you. Any, anybody else in the audience like to make a comment? No, okay, let's look, let's go to our last shows. And um, they're in no way related and they'll be dealt with individually, but simply um, from the point of view of practical management of time. We're going to look at the slides for both of them. Um, they're Kate Shepard showing at uh, Gallery Le Long and Anthony Gormley at Sean Kelly, New York. And thank you very much to Gabby Grodin for the capable, not only, not only presenting our presentation, but creating it. Thank you very much to you. So Vincent, uh, Karen, uh, Vincent, um, Kate Shepard. What am I? Got to get Karen off the brain here. <laughs> I'm even calling Vincent Katz Karen. Um, yeah. uh, Kate Shepard does not uh, uh, make any formal demands on your time. Did you uh, linger or did you move by swiftly? Um, well, that, it's interesting because I think I might have looked her up online before I saw the show, and I thought, oh my god, this is going to be kind of a dreary um, geometric show. I know what this is all about. But then when I got there, I was very pleased by the, um, the textures of the... It's, uh, they call it lacquer, but I guess it's a kind of a acrylic paint that's very shiny, the surface that she creates, and the, the colors are very unusual. And then, then she paints on top of it these thin lines that can either be these kind of imaginary 
architectures like uh, Roman frescoes or somehow they seem like waves, natural forms, and they're just painted very beautifully. And so I really did linger over her painting technique and I found it mm. very rewarding. The nature of her line, Arthur, is, 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 is very distinct, isn't it? Because on the one level, the work seems to be very hard-edged and slick, but when you do spend time with them, the line is, is quite, uh, within its uh, harsh geometry, is quite uh, person, quite expressive, quite personally felt. When I, when I first walked in, uh, <clears throat> my impression is that the lines were incised. Uh, I, I thought this was like what they called scratchboard at a certain point, and and so forth. And I, but after uh, the, the gallerist told me that these were painted on, as a matter mm -hmm. of fact, and uh, that you could see. Then then I thought of her as a draftsman. And uh, I, I, I thought of what, what it takes to execute a straight line the way she does, with little waivers. And, and I, I thought of a, of a very different artist uh, uh, who draws freely in a way that's almost impossible to imagine as freely drawn, namely Robert Mangold, who draws with, mm. with a pencil. And you say, how on earth can he have done that? Mm. And so, so I, I, the more I learned about how they were produced, Yes. The, the more I admired them. Mm. Linda, what was how tell us of your admiration or otherwise? I didn't see this particular show. I'm sorry. I've, I, but I am very familiar with Kate Shepard's work. I've seen her other two shows. I've known her for some time, and I've followed her work for a while. And uh, so I can't comment on the installation, mm. but uh, certainly it's the same technique and similar work as she's been doing. I mean, I gather from looking at the images. And uh, I, I also, I mean, here again, it's a little bit like the lyricism of Isaac Julian. These are very decorative paintings in a way. The colors are lush, and there's a little, um, they, there's a, a kind of, a, there's this hard, opaque surface, and yet those tiny little lines, which I also thought at first uh, were uh, scratched into the surface. Um, creates a kind of depth in a way, um, and, uh, th three dimensions um, that br draws you further into the painting, and uh, yet they're they're really pretty works together. But they're also very kind of sober, um, mm -hmm. serious, uh, you know, minimal minimalist geometry at the same time. Deliberately referenced, I think Robert Mangold certainly is kind of a hero to her. Um, so I, I do admire the work and I feel drawn to it and at the same time I'm a little put off by it because it's a little too pretty. Um, well, I, I, it's funny how we, prettiness has become a crime and that uh, horror is, is de rigueur and fine and not a problem. But it's, um, uh, I think one should be, there should be a certain equanimity that if horror is okay, then prettiness can be okay too. Um, uh, I, I, I like the fact that, I mean, one shouldn't take too much note of uh, the, just as, we've, just as we've rightly put the press release in its place, one wouldn't want to labor the uh, resume, but I find it fascinating that here is an artist who is a, uh, a hard-edged minimalist of sorts, who trained at the, uh, the New York Academy, which is, uh, uh, gives, gives a person a training very much steeped in a Beaux-Arts, um, 
in the correct sense of the term, the non-pejorative sense of the term, uh, an academic uh, uh, training in, in, in a sort of classical realism. And um, uh, I, I think there are very, very savvy works about a great many issues about art and art language. Uh, beyond being pretty and beyond being nice to look at, I think there's, there's constantly questions going on there about what is painting and what is drawing. I mean, they are color fields, and yet we're drawn to these very spindly, uh, but, but at the same time, perfect or near-perfect line. Um, the dialogue between line and, and color, I think, is, is really dynamic. I, I agree with you. There's a very strong aestheticism to the work, and at mm -hmm. the same time, it's completely lush. <laughs> yes. You know, the aesthetic involving. and the aesthetic yes. meet. Yes. 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 Um, unless there's a final mm -hmm. word from the other gentleman on, on Kate, I think we can move on to our last show, which was Anthony Gormley at Sean Kelly in New York. And just as uh, uh, Linda has owned up to the fact that her schedule didn't permit her to get to uh, Kate Shepard. I have to admit that despite two visits to the exhibition, my asthma didn't allow me to uh, get, to penetrate the depths of the steam room. I made an attempt on the second uh, visit, but then I heard a familiar voice of a friend I haven't seen from Paris for several years. I called out his name, and I think he had uh, even more of a kind of shock than Anthony Gormley had in mind for him in uh, in devising this work, but um, Arthur, I'm sure the intrepid, uh, having having got yourself down there from uh, uh, the heights of uh, northern Manhattan, <laughs> that you 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 took full advantage of that experience. Tell us what it was like to be in that steam. First of all, I really do read press releases. I think I need all the help I can get. <laughs> so it it turned out that he was interested in certain questions about the body. And when I read a little bit about him, he's interested in Kant. And it's uh, a subject I actually know something about from a <laughs> professional perspective. And, and uh, uh, that, that, that is to say, yes. there, there are certain essays of Kant that almost nobody reads, but are very interesting, and they have to do with orientation. He, he, he wrote an early paper concerning the uh, discerning of directions in space. Right. How, how do we do that? And, and he comes up with this rather interesting idea that uh, space is, is, there's a form through which we see the world, and that in, in, in what he calls the, uh, the, the transcendental aesthetic mm -hmm. is, uh, uh, re refers to the body, to the fact that bodies have rights and lefts, fronts and backs, ups and downs, and uh, the, uh, uh, that the, you, you, couldn't, uh, you couldn't organize space without that, what physicists later called the conservation of parity. So I, but you would never know that without reading the, uh, the, 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 the literature, the press release, and so forth. But reading the literature on press release aside, you went into the middle of that Well, scene. you go in, but... You must you, have had an experience. Then I wonder, you know, I thought it's kind of like a reverse performance. The, what we used to call the... the, the um, uh, Viewer. Yes. In this case, you don't view anything. I mean, yes. you, you, you stick your head in there and so forth and so on. You have a lack and, of... And you're trying to, you're trying to enact uh, what, what Kant is describing, orienting yourself in mm -hmm. space without any visual cues. He calls it yes. blind light. And, yes. And so the question, the question is, uh, how would anybody get that who didn't read the... Uh, uh, 
literature. Well, and that, that's what I, okay. I, you say, steam room, you're going to say something like that. It would take a very intrepid person a very long time to begin to get a glimmer of the phenomenological problems that he's dealing with. Were you thinking about Kant when you were in the middle of the steam, Vincent? No, I wasn't thinking about Kant, but I, <laughs> I went in there and it was kind of a great experience because you, you really lose touch with everything. Um, you can see your feet a little bit and you can see the floor and the floor is a little wet. And then you can hear people nearby. Um, so I went all the way to the back and it was a little bit scary because you didn't know when you were going to reach the wall or, I mean, you knew there had to be a wall and you didn't know where. Um, it was kind of, it was very beautiful and then, and I did it and I came out and then later I was thinking about it and I thought, but it's kind of like one of those things that might be somewhere else, like not in a gallery. It's almost like come see this, come feel this fantastic experience <coughs> in New York for only three months. <laughs> $25, you know, midtown. I don't know, it just seemed like some other kind of interesting and beautiful experience, but it didn't actually touch me deeply as a work of art, finally. Karen, apart from the steam room... Linda. Oh. <laughs> okay, well... <laughs> Monsieur Blonsky, t- <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 Keep it there. Yes. Um, all right. Apart from the steam room, um, the sculptures, uh, the, 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 which are, take us to more familiar um, Gormley territory, because for many years, as I'm sure many of us know, uh, his, his uh, main idiom was this uh, rather sort of um, golem-like uh, lead um, uh, rather awkward kind of homunculus made from a cast from himself, which would either appear individually or in, 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 in uh, sort of multiple uh, incarnations. Um, do, do you feel that there was a, a, a convincing link between the three uh, spin-off variations of that Gormley figure and the, 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 the uh, vitrine steam experience? Or did you think that there was a, or was that a sort of, or not? Well, I, I think that uh, they were certainly a, a, a clue <laughs> that this was going to be about a, a bodily experience that it was about that it was physical, that it involved the body. I have to say, I well, I, I I've done many things and gone many places for the sake of art and for to have a new perceptual experience, and this is the first one that really scared me and creeped me out. Uh, I The first time I was there, and Sean Kelly's sitting right here, and I know this isn't a concern of yours, but you really should supply shower caps to the women. Uh, it, we're calling it a steam room, but in the normal sense of the word, it's not... What, it's condensation of... So, what is it? Yeah, it's just wet in there. And it, it's not hot, it's, it's cold. It's sort of... There's a chill, and it, I thought it was dry. I, I felt like I was walking to a bank of uh, dry ice fog, but I'm taking baby, baby, baby steps into it, and I do have vertigo also, and I felt... 
I started to get very scared because I couldn't see a thing and I waited for voices to come near me so I'd have some sense of where I was. I got very dizzy and all, all I, I was blind. I was, and that was frightening and all I could see were the scratches on my contact lenses and the floaters in my eyes. I did. And but, you, but you can't tell me you were not thinking about Immanuel Kant. <laughs> I was grateful to have that to think about later, but it, it, I mean, I didn't get very far in, and I know there were people who went all the, I, I had walked around the whole thing first, and so I knew the walls were there, but I stopped myself after a few steps because I suddenly, I didn't know where the door was, and I felt that I was in a maze and I couldn't get out. And so I had a completely disorienting, confusing and frightening experience. Just a few minutes in there, I didn't walk around. And, uh, and I came out of it thinking it was a great success as, as, a, <laughs> as a, a work about perception and, uh, and yes, what, uh, the organization of space. I mean, I was completely lost in there. So I can't say that I liked it because I was actually quite frightened by it and uh, certainly challenged by it. Um, I don't know, it, it is a little bit of like a sensationalized kind of funhouse thing that you don't connect so much to art, except that it questions the nature of perception and our expectations of what art is. Well, that's enough to be getting going with. Well, any comments from the audience on um, either Kate Shepard or uh, Anthony Gormley and the experiences you had with those uh, two very different shows, one or the other? Anybody? Uh, yes, our intrepid Mr. How much did you hate these, Devon? <laughs> Hello? Yeah. Uh, no, quite the opposite. And uh, I thought it interesting just in seeing them on the screen that they reproduce so poorly um, because the, the, the previous shows were kind of meant to be represented afterwards in other formats where um, uh, the Kate show uh, just doesn't reproduce. You, you don't get the feeling of the painting from looking at a reproduction of it at all. And, um, and Vince talking about how his perception about being forced to watch a video in a way. I mean, you're not forced, but you know you can't really talk about it unless you saw the whole thing and you're waiting to figure out what's going on. And with the painting, I saw right after the video and I was thinking, well, what if they made you stand in front of one of these paintings for 20 minutes? That would be a good thing. Because you know, you, it's it's a very very visceral effect looking at the painting, and I was thinking how much more successful the surface, mm -hmm. just as a tactile visual surface was to the previous works I had seen, and then I finally wound up at the um, at the Gormley show, which I also walked around the outside first because you're thinking, uh, and then you walk in and it's not steam, it's neutral, it has almost no temperature. And it, it's, it is terrifying. Um, it is disorienting. You, your hand starts to disappear. Talk about a non-reproducible effect. Seeing pictures of it on the wall have nothing to do with the piece at all. And it's completely internal because it's all about what's going on in your head 
as you're trying to accept the space, and it's overwhelming because you can see. It's not like you're in a black room and your brain is telling you you can't see. You can see perfectly, and you can see your feet disappearing from the end of your body. So I found it to be actually, to go against Vince here, but I found it a very profound experience, one that, that you could only handle for a few minutes because I walked all the way to the back, was terrified, because <laughs> you're waiting to walk into the wall. You're afraid you're going to walk into somebody because it's shocking. You walk in a few feet, you already can't see the door behind you. Right. And when I walked okay. back, I thought, I'm just going to dead right back. I missed the door, walked okay. into the wall, and okay. you kind of crawl out. And I walked out, and there was a woman who had been standing there before I walked in, and she took two steps in and backed out immediately and right. said she just couldn't handle it. Okay, and I, too hot to handle. Okay, thanks. Yep. Thanks. Uh, let's maybe have one last comment if somebody would like to speak. Uh, we'd like to hear from you. Uh, it just seems to me that it was a success after all. I mean, the way people have described what they went through. The, yeah. the, the, excuse me, but the experience each person had was actually what Anthony wanted people to... Uh, discover for themselves, and, and that's pretty impressive. Okay. Well, an artist who gets what he wants is a, is a good note on which to end. Ladies and gentlemen and panel, it just remains for me to mention that on December the 14th, Lily Way, Lance Esplund, and one other distinguished critic will be joining us. Look forward to seeing you then. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, it was a good one, yes. <laughs>